Hello, this is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we have Brandon Roche, founder of Bard Games. So he had a very successful uh, uh, Kickstarter with Fickle. With Fickle. And now he has another uh, Kickstarter. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Sure. And Saul, Jolene, and- thanks for having me back on your show, man. I'm excited. Um, no, no problem. Yeah, the Lost Worlds of Josh Kirby uh, launched about three weeks ago, so we're entering our final week, and really excited. We're fun. We're four hundred percent funded and climbing. Cool. And there's been so many neat discoveries on this journey of working with a kind of a rediscovered intellectual property, right? The, with the Josh Kirby illustrations. So more than glad to fill you in on the gameplay and the art and, you know, we can, we can definitely nerd out on our game <laughs> and among other gaming topics. So, no. So exactly. I was thinking like, I'd never heard of Josh Kirby and then, and then you came up with this game and you were talking about the different posters he's done, the book covers he's done. And I go, Oh yeah, I know that art. And so that's, it's fascinating that, this guy is like for me was kind of over overlooked you know but maybe i'm just a, a total doofus on art no no I, I think what you're you're right i think so many of us particularly in the american audience grew up with a lot of his illustrations but you know for a long time between the so his first illustrations began in the late 50s where yeah. he was doing sci-fi covers Right. And then when we entered the 60s, he had really become uh, renowned for his book cover work. And so he did Bradbury. He did um, everything from Fahrenheit 451 to the Martian Chronicles. He did all the Edgar Rice Burroughs, so Tarzan and John Carter of Mars. Alfred right. Hitchcock Presents, Sci-Fi Magazines. And then around the 70s, he switched into movie posters. So he did Crawl. He did... The Return of the Jedi movie poster for the UK. He did a, a whole bunch of 70s um, sci-fi stuff that, you know, I'm just old enough to kind of remember some of these things. Like a, you know, a Lee Majors movie of the space shuttle getting in a time zone. Time warp. <laughs> like some really bizarre stuff. Well, and then That's wow, amazing. I, I don't remember that one. <laughs> it's probably forgettable, but, you know, it is Lee Majors, so, you know. Yeah. Pretty cool dude. Six million dollar man. That's yeah. right. And, yeah. Well, he was a pilot, I guess, at one point. So. Yeah. so, you know, so what happened is Josh Kirby, you know, and at the time, the artists weren't as well re- respected. Yes, you know, they didn't have know. the, they didn't have like the name power that really started to happen with the cartoon era of the 80s and 90s, right? Where artists and their skill, particularly in illustration, you know, starts to become even more copyrightable and you know the artist's name but you know where josh kirby is most famous and he's kind of known in the uk is his discworld covers so okay yeah so josh kirby did 26 of the discworld covers and there's this really neat quote by terry sir terry pratchett the author of the discworld series where you know he 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 kind of he and josh kirby were not only like lifelong friends and collaborators josh and terry pratchett would get together and talk about what terry was writing so that josh could make the cover and josh kirby's style was you know one of the things that terry pratchett says is you know like looking at an illustrations is like watching a movie because there's just so yeah. much visual information that he oh my god i'm staring at my shelf of terry pratchett books and going 
Now I know who Josh Kirby is. You grew oh up with God. him. You should see her. She's grinning wide because that's like her favorite author. I mean, she, she used to drive me nuts. I'll tell you a little story. I've sort of said it before, but, you know, we used to live in an apartment by ourselves and I used to work midnight shifts. And every once in a while, she start cackling about reading this uh, Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett. So I wake up and I'm like, honey, can you like quiet down? I'm trying to fall asleep. And I'm like, I never really heard anybody laughing like that when they were reading a book. But until another friend of ours was reading Terry Pratchett and he was doing the exact same thing. Driving his wife crazy. We both (laughs) love Terry Pratchett and they're like, I don't get the humor. No, but she absolutely loves those books and those, that art of this world series. It's, fantastic and it's definitely his signature pieces so you know where we were really blessed is we met um amy anderson who is the niece of josh kirby and she's the inheritor of his estate and a couple years ago i got to know her and her um, husband rob and we started to collaborate on what could be now this really cool board game and in the process of going through his estate she discovered these panels of art that are kind of the feature and the reason we call the game the lost world of josh kirby it's based on this discovery of these illustrations that were never used in a commercial product had never been seen outside of galleries that were kind of his his opus magnus that he was painting in the background and it's this sci-fi adventure of this human leaves earth and he tries to save this race of little orange people and then he gets killed and then he gets resurrected with superpowers and it's these huge eight by 14 because these are all paintings right this is pre-computer right so there's these huge paintings that really had never been used before so that's the namesake of the game is that when we say the lost worlds of josh kirby have been discovered it starts with his illustrations and we're really excited that the game is allowing us to help people see this art that we grew up with. If you were an RPG guy and you ever saw a Tunnels and Troll cover, that was Josh Kirby. Right. If you like Terry Pratchett, you know, I mean, just over and over again, he contributed to the sci-fi world in ways that I think only now in doing this research are we able to kind of really fathom how how much epic work he'd done. You know, that is like like a gold mine to certain type of people. Like, you know, me and Jolene took history classes and we always – they were always telling us tales of of historians that would find you know you know lost articles of these historians and stuff, and that's what she just did. You know, you know, if you may not have found it, but you're presenting it to the world. I mean, that's kind of cool. It really is. I mean, it's what's you know, and it's if anything, it's almost overshadowing that overshadowing that there's a good game in there too. So we'll talk game, <laughs> but you know, no, the, that's. They're really neat. I yeah, that's and, pretty cool. And what's been really fun for me is that the the, uh, the family, the Kirby estate, has entrusted us to kind of make a story around right. all the illustrations. So we're if you go to our Kickstarter, you'll see that we're actually writing sci-fi content and you know like a little a little story. Um, yeah. So I mean, we're really kind of creating a world around these rediscovered illustrations, and that's just been a blast. You know, one more thing. It's you know speaking of like finding you know, information, right? The historical part. So in recovering and looking for originals of book covers so we could use the art on Mard, right? By the text and stuff. Cool, yeah, yeah. They found a series of letters from Ray Bradbury 
to Josh Kirby in 1964. And if you go to our Kickstarter, um, there's a link out. I'm sorry, if you go to our website, if you go to bardgames.fun, there is a um, article that we posted about these letters. We actually, you know, uh, uh, electronically make the letters available. And, and it's, um, it's mind-blowing. So it's written by Ray Bradbury in response to letters that Josh Kirby wrote. And very specifically, Bradbury is... Um, you know, he's kind of railing against people his age and against the times in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Because science fiction art really wasn't seen as, um, you know, as like respectable themes. Right. And Bradbury, who's a, you know, who's a science fiction, the godfather of science fiction is, you know, kind of his Pulitzer nomination title. Right, right. You know, he, he wrote this letter that we've never been seen before, like literally got the physically typed letter. Um, just kind of in these archives where Bradbury has these just amazing quotes about, you know, the science fantasy is what the future generations are going to want art and stories like that's what they're going to care about. And he wrote this four <laughs> years before the moon landing. Wow. So these are two sci-fi, like, you know, kind of the pioneers of science fiction and fantasy right in the middle of the space race before it was really um, something other than for kids, you know, right. the, the, the fantasy part of it. Well, and, I, I remember going to the public library in my, in my hometown and sci-fi and fantasy was always in the juvenile section every, everywhere we went. And so in every library we went, and then it was really seen kind of like, you know, even science fiction and stuff wasn't seen as like a, I don't know, as, as regular a, fiction, as you know, as a high enough, I don't know what like, it wasn't, you know, seemed in the high esteem, right, right, and then you know, but but look at like like for example, uh, Star Trek and stuff. You know, when you when you go and talk to or you hear people talk like astronauts and stuff like that. They talk about science fiction and how that led them to think about astronauts and physics and stuff as part of their reason why they got into that into that field. And I think it has a huge impact on society today. Yeah, uh, uh, and and you and Bradbury would be of a like mind. And it's really neat <laughs> to go read the letters because he really it's it, and it's written with an author's flair. There's a point yes. where he says, you know, the small-minded Lilliputians will never get <laughs> what's 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 that's, really coming, right? That's and pretty cool. It's yeah, and you so found those. Yeah, yeah. So the estate found them, and they were kind enough to let us share them. And where the story gets even better is the Ray Bradbury, uh, the the executors of the Museum of Ray Bradbury, which is in the University of uh, Indiana has reached out to us and now they're trying to find the letters that Josh Kirby wrote. Oh, because that's right. Cause it's only one side. Right. No, this is literally back on typewriters and paper. Right. Yeah. And, but now they have a time and a date and a person and they have his archive. So we expect that we're going to be able to like see the whole story where, where they have this, you know, you, you really have this, this point in time discussion about how science fiction and space opera is going to be what the world is consuming soon. <laughs> and and lo and behold, right? Like this is just before Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica TV oh, show, yeah. and like these guys were on the, the 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 very front end of this. They were witnessing this change, right? 
And what's neat about the Josh Kirby work, and then we'll talk about other stuff is, you know, and he's the guy that had been illustrating it for a long time. And so his style really became um, one of the influences for so many others that um, were going on. So, you know, if you look at Jack Kirby or um, uh, what's uh, Frank Frazetta, right? A lot of that stuff, you know, a lot of those guys were only a decade or two behind Josh Kirby, who just doesn't have the name recognition that didn't have the same industry at the time. You know, he right. was a little bit ahead of his time for the way that he was painting landscapes of worlds. And, and, and to agree with you, I mean, even I remember as a kid finding those fun science fantasy art books of new worlds, oh, yeah. and you just get lost staring at them. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. And this, so we're really excited as you can tell about yeah, representing no. the Josh Kirby, um, art and then and then really it's also been fun looking at each piece because they're so huge right you know go back to eight by 14 panels you know we're able to clip images out of this art and make so many different content pieces um yeah that's pretty big yeah and you know and and it's been a real it's taken us two three years to get to this point because the family has had to digitize a lot of the illustrations or try to find originals that we could you know get to print quality yeah Mm -hmm. So, so this has been in the works for at least at two years, and how did the coming together to mix the art with making the game? I mean, obviously, it 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 just doesn't you know you don't whatever they call it. It's not pasted it on right because when yeah. when I've heard people talk about the game, it seems like you're traveling from world to world and doing different things in the game. Yeah. So we really embraced the space opera theme in the game design and to kind of briefly tell you how we got there. So at about two years ago, roughly the same timetable, you know, I had this wonderful library of rediscovered Josh Kirby illustrations. Right. And so and folks that know me know I pretty actively go to prototype events and game pitches and, you know, and specifically Jordan um, Nichols's design that is the Lost Worlds of Josh Kirby. Uh, it is this wonderfully tight game that he, we all then worked to develop for almost two years and it, you know, from play tests to, you know, rules and, you know, the, just all the stuff that includes the expanded content that I'll tell you about, like, you know, space opera campaign modes, but specifically we knew we wanted to make sure that it felt like you were in a space opera. And to me that boiled down to like more moral decisions, right? Are you going to go all, Flash Gordon and save the galaxy? Are you going to be all Ming the Merciless and destroy it? Are you going to Han Solo it and play both sides? Right. And so the morality track, which is really a um, an indicator of how you're collecting worlds, either through saving them or conquering them, and uh, control decisions that you lose as you get as your alignment crystallizes, you get less choices with your action dice. Right. You know, is one of the design elements that I think really wove it all together because even the end game scoring is based on. You know, if you're going to go dark, you got to go all the way. And if you're going to go light, you got to go all the way because you get that scoring bonus. But if you're going to yes. play the middle, you got to do it just right because, you know, you might get some extra moves, but you have to also perform a little bit better, right, to, from a scoring standpoint. Right. And people have responded very well to the morality track. I think that's the piece that as they're playing the game, because the rules are straightforward enough that once you understand how to roll the action dice, move your fleets around and right. collect world cards to yeah. – gain powers 
those powers you're then cascading to basically eke out a win, right, by getting the most victory points. All of those mechanics get bound together in this morality play when every world you take is also this ethical decision of, do I want to give up some dice control because I've decided to go evil? And what <laughs> I have seen, yeah, and what's been amazing is we've done <laughs> lots of play testing. And yes. people get into it, man. Like, you know, it's very, I will tell you this, it's very tempting to go dark. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of players, yeah. even the nicest person is subjugating worlds very quickly. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and we made it. So, so that design element and all the work that Jordan Nichols put into it really reinforced this idea of you're flying across a populated galaxy of aliens and, you know, planetary landscapes and robots and, you know, you name it and spaceships and, and ultimately the, how you win or the thematic part of how you win is saving worlds or conquering them. And we think that has done a really good job of complementing the immersion of the art. And that's, that's space opera, right? If uh, you read any kind of space opera books, you know, true space opera, it's, you know, intergalactic. There's no small, you know, choices. It's all big. It's all on a grand scale. Mm -hmm. And I was watching a playthrough of the game and it's, and it really captured that. Yeah. Thank you. you watching the playthrough? It's on, it's on oh. uh, online. I saw, yeah. you, I saw you doing playing at the, at Dundracon. Um, I walked by, I saw all the, the, the art out and there were so many people around the table i couldn't even get close enough to <laughs> sorry <laughs> it. Yes. So i was like wow that's pretty good no it was great honestly i lost my voice at the end of day two of that convention because yeah. you know so much you know we had two tables going non-stop for two days and lots of people coming to play again you know what's nice is by turn two turn three you understand the core mechanics right. um and there's enough depth for gamers that you know, the rules are not complex. In other words, you roll the action dice, you have a re-roll decision based on your morality. Then you're using your renowned resources as well as your action dice to manage your fleets. And your fleets are basically your, your workers that you're using to collect worlds. How you collect them is save or conquer them, which is a, uh, a point value decision. And either right. way, as you collect those worlds, you get these, these one-time world powers. And the world powers is how you set up the combos. And I think that the real surprise when people play the game is by turn two or three, um, you know, they figured out the mechanics of the game, but they're starting to see how the world powers allow them to just carve out an advantage for the win. Right. And, and, and ultimately a game, you know, five-player game um, is 40 minutes or less. And so it goes, it's a fairly, it's intentionally a casual play style so yeah. that, you know, your, your non-crunchy gamers are, are going to want to play it, but there's enough strategy and decision-making depth that suddenly everybody starts to realize how important it is to conquer or save those worlds to get those world powers and set up a one-two punch, right? Set up a, right. a power cascade. And that I think is the real aha when people play it and they want to play it again because they want to try. You know, they, they, they realize that the winner is the one to put together just the most epic move. I was going to say, from a design standpoint, what's what I have seen, like, what has been really interesting to watch is 
players see other because it's all public information so right. players see the other person's combos and ways to win and they all inevitably can't help the other players saying <laughs> oh you should do this because then you can conquer the galaxy like oh you know? no yeah i mean you, you you're throwing away your win i've had one i think one player got uh, upset enough because he realized you know he had it but the other player because the other player missed how he could have kind of stole the last world um but the majority of players, because they want to see those epic moves, right? It's all right. about that big Buck Rogers saves the galaxy moment um, that it really reinforces the theme in a cool way. Uh, so much so that, you know, if it was a tournament, I suppose people would be a little bit more tight-lipped, but certainly in oh, yeah. casual game time. And it doesn't <laughs> steal away from the fun. People like watching it all happen. And then the point games, you know, if you watch um, uh, one of the games we did at Undercon, you know, usually first, second, and third place are pretty darn close. And then right. fourth and fifth place really start to trail. But the good news is the game is short intentionally, right? Because Exactly. The- what I, I thought was funny is, or pretty cool is that those those world powers, you don't have to use them right away, right? Oh, correct. It's uh, To me, it's all about timing. Yeah. And so I remember watching somebody, and they were like, you know, maybe not very high on the points but but they were able to pull off this combination and they were like you know rocketed to, to the you know, not to use a pun but rocketed to the front of the pack i was like <laughs> that was pretty cool it really is the part of the game that i think that our our, our more strategy driven gamers like because they realize that you know your casual funds can have fun playing and if they don't see the strategy or if they are sitting with friends who like a strategy game. It starts to unfold in a way where timing and how you eke out that point is juicy enough that it's engaging. Right. No, it looks yeah. really fun. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to play it, obviously. So I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Again, DungeonCon, you know, uh, my apologies that we didn't get to knock some people out of the way, but um, make <laughs> sure okay. that you got to play. I and, have a uh, friend. His name is Steve. And even at Dundercon, we were playing, um, I think it was Alien Frontiers. It was me and his two sons. And he was telling each of us, because one of his sons hadn't played for years. So he was telling him what he should do. And he's going around the table as each person's turn going, if you did this, this is the best way you could do that. And I finally told him, Steve, we know how to play the game. Stop playing for each of us. (laughs) And when you were talking about, you know, people looking at other people's stuff and it's it's one of the parts of gaming that gamers really like to try to play the game for everybody at the table. I don't do that, but I know a lot of guys that do. Well, she's and it's com- pretty amazing. She's too to competitive watch. to tell people, you should do this. Because then I won't win if I tell them how to win. <laughs> right. No, no. Quarterbacking can be a real problem, right? Where, where, And, you know, I have some very close game friends where we'll, we'll, we'll start a game and actually I'll have to declare. No quarterback. Let me lose. I want to learn on my own, right? Never once I surprise yeah, him yeah. and win anyway, and that really yeah. ticks him off. Um, yeah. You know, what's nice, though, I think the, the where the Lost Worlds does prevent a lot of quarterbacking, you know, it's an action dice system. So yes. you can't really plan your next turn. I mean, you can you can plot for your next turn using probabilities, right. and I won't get too mathy here. But um, you know, <laughs> no, please tell me about yeah. If if you're like an RPGer like I grew up, then you like calculating the probabilities you're to hit. You know how much damage do I need? You know, and you know a good dice game I think maintains those elements. And yeah, the, you know, in the Lost Worlds of Josh Kirby, because you have 
not only dice, but dice you can manipulate a re-roll based on your morality and your renown, and there's just ways to mess with your probabilities. You really can optimize your decisions. The right. good news is you're not stewing over your turn too heavily because you got to roll the next round. If if right. if that random element wasn't, you know, if that chance element wasn't introduced, then I could see quarterbacking be a real problem. But until their dice are rolled, no one can really count on what their next round's going to look like. They can only plot for it. Right, because you know that's the cool thing about dice is that you know the fates can screw you or give you what you want. I love dice. Yeah, you know it's a it's it's a funny topic too because you know having worked on several kinds of board game designs, right? You know if you know if you're talking to your euro and your strategy gamers, they do not want random chance and chaos, yes. right? And that's just a certain kind of player. Right. And, you know, what I've I, what I would say is only a few of those kinds of players have reacted negatively to Josh Kirby because the game's right. short enough. Yeah. And it's casual play and strategy enough that it still has an elements that is fun for a worker placement or a Euro fan. Right. Because you're just yeah. you know, you're not putting that much time into it. Yeah. You're not putting but, three hours into this um, right. game. But, you know, where the dice manipulation and probability calculation comes in is if you like role-playing games or if you are comfortable with the mare trash or, you know, if you really, you know, and what's fun is you can actually play the don't tell me the odds version of the game where you just roll and move, right? And you, you got a <laughs> shot to win, right? And, and, you know, and that's where I would say the game is balanced really well. Because, you know, your most competitive players are trying to account for each and every decision and point. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to have those folks because they do a great job of, of checking that your design actually functions. functions right. <laughs> but where they get concerned is there's only so much dice control, right? And the good news is the probabilities are fairly calculable. You're rolling three dice and they all are unique. Um, four dice if you pay for the renown bonus. Um, so it's not impossible math. Um, but if, if you like zero, if you're, if you're an abstract strategy only type, then I would say this game is not for you. And for everyone else on the other hand, I've had lots of different play tests over years and, you know, for yeah. the most part, you know, to me, the real test is do people come back and play it and almost regularly we will get replays, um, because yeah. it's so fun to put those power combos together and score the victory. And they're always close. Like the winner is usually within a point or two. No, I saw at DungeonCon you were, you were just like you were in that room over and over. People were coming and playing. People were coming and playing. I don't think you ever got to sit down and, and you know. <laughs> and when you lost your voice, that tells you, you know, how how much you were talking. Yeah. And and I saw people were pretty excited about playing. So that I mean, you know, obviously you had a you had a good uh, response to to the to the game. Yeah, we're really happy. And we've got some cool additional stuff happening on the Kickstarter, like the mission log, if you really want to go into science fiction immersion, where we're doing coloring book pages based on Josh oh, Kirby yeah. art. And we have like a dozen puzzles and counting that are all kind of space opera themed, you know, like move, <laughs> move, get water to the lost planet and stuff like that. You know, so things like mind, right. mind bender type puzzles. And then the one that we, uh, I don't know if you saw us play testing a alternate um, version of our space opera campaign mode. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. So we're also for the more generous backers, the bundle backers, we are introducing a space opera campaign where you play multiple games and you track your wins and then you get these, um, uh, 
you know, asymmetrical player powers that you take with you game after game and, oh. and conquer this galactic map. So you really are now going for the space opera. And <laughs> it's, it's, so we've played that one several times and, and I, and, and it, it, it introduces a whole new meta because now, and, and it still builds on the morality track because your campaign points are still based on your win losses for good, evil, or playing the scoundrel middle. And so now think about having to manage your morality over several games yeah. and, and how it impacts your, you know, your, it's it, so just, it's fun because the immersion of, you know, I'm going to, I am going to conquer this gallery galaxy <laughs> and show all my friends, you know, the iron fist of our games. And, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Especially people who like a little bit of a longer play, you know, uh, you can, use this campaign style to get that you know that massive uh uh oh, what what do you call it people really some people really like those really long complex games that take you know more than 45 minutes to play yeah. and you know so some advantages we have with this design with the the way that jordan nichols designed it is you know we did a five player campaign from wow. beginning to end and it took us about four and a half hours and these were with only moderately skilled players. They played the game. Some of us were the designers who played a lot, but others had only played the game once or twice. So they were able to jump right in and 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 enjoy the new wow. experience. So you know, That's four cool. yeah, four or five hour campaign with five people is still pretty good, right? That's but not bad at all. What's really nice about it is it's pretty much you know it's paper and sticker driven. Um, and so what that means is you could play a game, fold it up, and put it away. So that's not, you know, eating up your kitchen table, unfold it and play the next one a week later. And you're still playing the same campaign. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Cause like, I remember back in the day we had, we're playing Panzer Blitz. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And we had a, we had this big old, I don't know what we used. It was a board or something. Oh no, but you had to be careful so you didn't mess up the pieces. Yeah. So we had to like, we shoved it underneath somebody's bed. And we would pull it out every night for like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. It drove Jolene crazy. <laughs> well, you're a saint, Jolene. But... <laughs> she is. So, yeah, I think I've done. I'm trying to think. I think my Arkham horror has lasted more than two nights, but eventually people. Really? Yeah, well, because, you know, Arkham horror can be another long schlog. And oh, yeah. I yeah, like yeah. to solo it, and I just think oh. it's a great solo game. And. Sooner or later, the kids just come up, knock stuff over, and you don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I remember, I think I played that at like a games day, and I didn't know it was such a long game. So I sat down and I saw, oh, it's a card game. And after like three hours, I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, dude, I'm hungry. I I gotta go. Oh, you gotta gotta go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell me. And this guy was like set up, you know, he had all the cards and little plastic cases. And this was years ago. And I was like, oh, this sounds. But he just came out with more cards and more cards. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a long game. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fairness, it's a Cthulhu inspired game. So you're supposed yes. to lose sanity points yes. and hopes and dreams and eventually go insane. <laughs> So you did a good job of the meta, right? It was, you just your immersion was complete. You quit yes. gaming, and we ended up in a rubber room for a week. <laughs> so how how uh, how many times have you kickstarted a game? This is only your second game. 
Well, under Bard Games, this is our second game, and I have done okay. three Kickstarters prior to that. So, oh wow, so, yeah, so you're, old, you're an old hat. Uh, you know, Kickstarter has changed quite a bit. Like when I started, I think my first one was 2012, 2014. Wow. Um, you know, back then you could pretty much post your cut pieces of paper and and you know a couple <laughs> photographs and get funded because it was right. unique and it really was independence and right. Um, you know, it was. It was gamers who are passionate about seeing your project through. Now the landscape is very different. There's 50,000 Kickstarters on yeah. the platform that there's 3,000 in the game category at any given time. The backers are way more demanding. The, you know, the, the quality, the expectations, the, you know, the, 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 from the gameplay and the information to the, art detail and the logistics right and that's right. just not you know when you think about being an independent game designer that's <laughs> a lot of skills to master right yes whereas the bigger companies using it as their pre-order and launch system or you know have, have changed the landscape for kickstarter yeah you know it's one of the reasons that ultimately we formed bard games is so that we you know so we could demonstrate our expertise in running the business side of it and um but last year, last year, went to China and met with uh, various factories to make sure that we had good uh, factory relationships so that we can make yes. sure that our games are, you know, meet the quality expectations of, you know, the gaming community. So Kickstarter has evolved a lot in the last five years and and it's been fun to be a part of it. And it's also been, um, you know, if you're not willing to recreate yourself and your approach, it can be really concerning because, you know, now it's people with deep pockets in marketing and good social media right. practices and you know just the, the the landscape has definitely evolved i think you're right i mean i remember when i saw your fickle game i go man this thing looks beautiful you know one you're using a, somebody's art but mm -hmm. but it looked really neat and it's the same thing with this one when I, and I remember those days where people would put up like basically their ideas and people would go yeah we'll throw some money on that now it's like, well, let me see what you got, you know, what's your track record? Yeah, and I don't blame it, you know, and in fairness to the kids, because I also back Kickstarters, I'm over 100 and going, and I rarely do the $1 <laughs> backer. I actually spend money, and that's why my garage right. is, there's, there's, there's officially no room for cars or laundry in, <laughs> you know, in unplayed and unopened Kickstarter games. And, and, and by the way, because I'm just going to say it, uh, the Conan ex board game expansion, that's going on at the same time. There goes, you know, there goes some of my profit. I know I got that. So, um, yeah. So, you know, just there's so many choices and it's a, you know, it's, it's an e-commerce platform where, you know, certainly five years ago, it was kind of an indie experiment support network, you right. know, like crowdfunding, I think intended to be. And yes, it's definitely switched. Yeah, it's just changed. And, you know, yeah. and you can lament it. I don't. I think it's it does mean that you got to have a more serious presentation. And, um, you know, so it's hard to be an independent like we are. But, you know, we're, we're growing. And that's why we want to put out great games. Like, no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you're almost you're a very small group. I think there's just a few of you in your in your Bard games yeah. or just you. I right. think maybe you have a partner that helps you out. Yep, there's but, three, four regulars, and then we, you know, kind of as, as uh, you know, we're, we're blessed to have an awesome art director, right, Matt Paquette, and he, you know, helps other. He works with a lot of companies, but yeah, he's he's next level game design, and yeah. So, so I mean, 
I mean, but like you said, you really have to, you know, wear so many hats that that you have to evolve from the from the guy who put out a, a video with him with his ideas, and now you know you're you you have to be you know have to be marketable and you have to present a have a good presentation of your product. Yeah, you know, and what's I think the reality of it is is to be successful, you have to be ready to run a business because you know making a board <laughs> game is a business proposition, right? You have to make it right. profitable. You have to deal with customers who may or may not love all your decisions. There's just so much to it. And um, if you've ever listened to Richard Bliss, his podcast called "Funding the Funding the Dream" on Kickstarter is if you are thinking about getting into Kickstarter, in my humble opinion, that is the place to start. He, I think it's over 300 episodes. And what he's been doing is interviewing successful Kickstarter backers for years. Wow. And, you know, so not only do you get insight on how to do it, but you get to hear how it's evolved if you're willing to kind of follow the story. Yeah. And, and that evolution of looking at it, not as just making a game, but it's a business proposition is sometimes why many designers don't want to get into Kickstarters and, and they look for publishers because there is the exciting part, right? The graphic and the, yeah. the game mechanic. And then there's the part that is important, but the customer doesn't get an intrinsic value out of running a good logistic solution. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah, right. they just want their box to show up and they don't really want to hear about all your packaging costs. Right. Like it's just, yes. you know, but, but when you're, if you're going to run your Kickstarter, right, that's what you got to factor into your, into your puzzle. And luckily, I mean, in, and to put my gamer hat on for a minute, running a business is a lot like running a, you know, it's like a LARP meets a Euro. And <laughs> I, I like both. So, yeah. So how's it going? I mean, you, you're, you've successfully funded, you're at 400%. Uh, it's, you know, you got what, four days, yep. five days. Yeah. I think Thursday at 9 PM when we do the countdown, Okay, uh, we'll do our countdown show like we did with, uh, the fickle campaign and invite people to watch us, you know, because it's kind of fun to watch the screen lock. If you can never touch your Kickstarter again. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so you really got to plan for it and we do it publicly. We just make it a celebration event for all of our backers. Cool. Anybody that wants to be a part That's of it. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you'll see the, like the last takes of people buying your stuff and then it, and then it ends, right? We hope so. Yeah. And well, yeah, it will end. Yeah, and no, it's will funny. Have like a, a what a backer kit or something like that. Yeah, so we're partnering with Backer Kit. Um, oh, you are. Be our, this is our second time, and uh, well, more than second, but for under the Bard Games logo, um, right. we're doing another Backer Kit partnership. And you know, Backer Kit's been an amazing partner for us. In fact, we did a Backer Kit game night of the lost worlds of josh kirby last weekend at backer kit headquarters had a whole bunch of people come and play and obviously some backers out of it and they've just been wonderful to work with so once the kickstarter ends i mean for the backers the game the work ends but for the publisher the work begins because right. you know now you gotta collect the funds and buy the you know go through the manufacturing process right buy all those components that, that everybody's expecting you to make <laughs> and you know it's going to be very interesting 2020 with the impact of the coronavirus on yes. chinese manufacturing and shipping lines yeah, who knows? is yeah, going that's, to that's crazy yeah it's going to be you know i think gamers are gonna you know i hope we do a good job of helping game backers understand that you know there's things out of our control and yeah. as long as you're transparent or source elsewhere, right? There's great, yeah. there's great manufacturers in Poland and other countries. 
Um, don't get me started as to why we can't build it in the United States because, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would have, happily I, do it in the United States. The same game will cost you $280 per box. And that's crazy. Yeah. Well, it, and that's, it's a made up number, but it will be substantially larger because, you know, U.S. labor and wages. And I mean, right, right. I, I won't do an economic statement, but I will say <laughs> that, you know, they're, they're, those backers that would want a fully U.S. made product wouldn't back it because <laughs> right. it just wouldn't match what the market's doing. So we're really yeah. dependent on China, you know, as one of the providers of so much of our goods. And so it's really you know, I mean, the the commerce impact aside, it's this really horrible event that, um, you know, we're, we're I'm very blessed to have met with our factory team in Ningbo, spent, um, went to the factory and got to meet the management. And, you know, uh, we help each other out with all kinds of information. And cool. yeah, our team's good. And, you know, so I don't think we'll have manufacturing issues. Shipping, on the other hand, is a worldwide problem. So, you know, and it's not <laughs> just China anymore. You know, those same ships go to any other port. So if you get your game made in Poland or Israel or anywhere else, you're still waiting on ships that may or may not be on schedule. And Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I've, I've backed some Kickstarters and pre-ordered stuff. And, uh, you know, some... Some uh, Kickstarters, they tell you what boat it is, and you can track the boat and this and that, or the ship, I should say. Yep. And I'm like, and it's it's coming toward, you know, sort of the United States, and then it has to port an emergency somewhere. I'm like, oh, my God, it's crazy. There's some horror stories. Like, I bought, I backed um, uh, the America board game, and which is a great board game. Just imagine, like, Axis and Allies. Oh, but but the premise is that the U.S. is losing the war and the Germans are invading on the East Coast and the Japanese on the West Coast. And now you're oh, playing Axis. Now, wow. that's a great game and um, just very well done. But they had so there they had some manufacturing delays, you know, good for them for yeah. putting out a quality product. All, all good. They updated us. But their their containers arrived in the port of Oakland and the port of Oakland went on strike. Yeah. And their stuff was just stuck at the port. I think an extra, almost the extra year. It was. Six, oh my god! Oh yeah, it was six or nine months before it could finally get released, and then you know it has to get released and processed. Oh yeah. Um, you know they were assembling in the U.S. Paperwork. Yeah, so it was. So it was a very lengthy re, re, re wow. delivery. But the truth be told, you know, if you do a good job of helping your Kickstarter backers understand what's going on. Nobody's buying a kick. Very few people, I should say, are buying a Kickstarter for immediate consumption or you know it's so it's yeah. grandma's birthday gift, right? It's mostly people <laughs> buying for themselves. Yeah, and you know, no, don't get me wrong. Two three years was a bummer, but I've also played that game several times. So glad I waited. And a good thing uh, you you said you were going going working with Backer Kit. It's a local company here in the Bay Area, right, San Francisco. Yeah. And they've been really uh, a lot of fun to work with because not only do they bring, um, you know, great structural capabilities to collecting backer information and handling it properly and getting your logistics right. They've been really good marketing partners and allowing us to, you know, uh, come to their physical headquarters and and uh, use their game night to feature our product. And they've shared that. They've done that with other campaigns as well. But we're 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 i think we're the first second time around so we're really <laughs> really proud that backer kit has just been a fun part of our journey sounds like a pretty good uh, uh partnership there yeah and jason and the team there is just fantastic and i didn't get paid so, for that by the way so 
<laughs> Unsolicited. Well, looks like you're running a pretty successful second Kickstarter campaign with Bard Games with uh, Lost Worlds of Josh Kirby. Do you have any final thoughts or things you want to tell us? No. Well, first off, thanks, because it, it, hopefully it came across how excited we are to take this immersive kind of lost illustrations and make what we think is a wonderful game and in a very busy Kickstarter battlefield, right? So <laughs> it's challenging to stand out and we're doing our best. And we know it's right. folks like you and Jolene that help us get the word out. And, you know, once the game is funded and once the boxes are in the U S there's more work to do, we'll be selling it at conventions and promoting it. And, you know, it just takes a, you know, it takes a longer term view to really do the, your game designs justice. And then as we leave not only the kicks, uh, the Lost Worlds Josh Kirby board game, the mission log activity book will be a fun new product for us. All that will end up on our website, bardgames.fun. So you can learn more about our projects there. But we have several games cooking in the background. Yeah. And the, really our next move to decide the order and timing of um, we have a series of kind of smaller price point, faster games to produce. We also have some other unique IPs because um, Fickle was based on the fairy art of Amy Brown. Uh, the Lost World of Josh Kirby, obviously, you know, our feature artist. And we're working with a well-known science fiction property, uh, hoping that that game will come out this year. We also have some, uh, th so we have some very interesting comic book leads. Oh, uh, the actually the Kickstarter you should see coming up shortly is a partnership we're doing with um, Dynamite Comics. Yeah, yeah, and that's the it's called uh, Sherlock Holmes: The Vanishing Man, and cool. this one is another. We're really, I'm excited about this one partly because um, it's cool to do a Sherlock Holmes game and. Um, I won't over detail, you know, just imagine like, you know, concentration, right. Where you're trying to remember where things are at. Oh, so yeah. imagine a concentration tile puzzle with manipulation rules and stock market scoring. And Ooh. that's, yeah. So we've play tests have gone really well. People really get into it. It feels like a deduction puzzle. So that part is really rewarding that we have another good game with really cool um, comic art from the, uh, dynamite comic series but you know personally i'm excited to get this game built because it was based on the design of a designer who was uh who, who died in a car accident several years ago and i was working with him at the time so i'm we're we're determined to build this game for rohan dagard and get it on the market because it's a great game from a great designer that we've lost and it's going to have another great art statement and so that one you'll see really the kickstart will be run by dynamite and okay. bard games will be the publishing will be the design credit wow. so um yeah so that that should be q2 so it'll be later and probably summer it'll be in summer cool. this year that you see the kickstarter so lots yeah. cooking lots cooking yeah you're a busy man and i'm still gonna go to convention and lose my voice if it all pops <laughs> Well, I can't imagine you not wanting to go to a convention because, you know, I, I you played in my RPG game and I've seen you run your games and you're just, you know, you just exude that gamer that loves playing games. And so I think it's pretty cool that you discovered and rediscovered Josh Kirby and are 
you know, uh, helping other people discover him like me who may not have known the name, but definitely the art. And that's pretty neat. You should be commended. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and it, it with us. Jolene and Saul, thank you. Cause you guys have always been, you know, great supporters and, you know, cause I totally agree with you. For me, I get really excited and I get my energy from being in the game community and playing and getting feedback and like all of it really juices me to get up early and stay up late to run more <laughs> games. And sounds uh, good. And so, and I'll see you at KubaCon, right? I'm sure that's yeah, next yeah. We'll be there. Perfect. All right. Thank you for coming and talking to us, Such Brandon, of <laughs> uh, Bard Games. He has a Kickstarter currently going on till Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, it's called The Lost Worlds of Josh Kirby. Check it out. Back the game. It looks really fun. So thanks for coming online with us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and here's for a, a great, successful Kickstarter yes. for you. Yes. Thanks okay. again. All right. No take problem. it easy. Um, this is Gaming Perspectives with so? Angeline and Brandon. You have a good day. Yeah.